Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a mini water cooler discussion and talk about what we've been up to. We're going to gather around the virtual water cooler once again. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Ryan, this is the first time that you and I have talked on the podcast. You've been uh, a welcome guest on the show, speaking with Peter in, in several episodes over the past, what, couple months, it seems like at this point. Who knows with time anymore? Um, but this yeah, is your first water cooler episode. It is, yeah. I pretty much, once once I established my uh, firm identity at the site as being the box office dude, um, Peter, <laughs> w- once, once No Way Home was coming out, he's like, oh, this is the first interesting box office thing we've had to talk about in a while. And then that just sort of turned into a regular thing. Who would have known? But yes, you got sucked in, and now you'll never leave. <laughs> it's it's um, starting to seem okay. that way. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's get into it. We haven't. Neither one of us has, has really been doing much of anything, um, but we have been reading some stuff. Uh, I want to talk about a book that I read not too long ago that actually took me a long time to read, called House of Leaves. Have you ever heard of this book, Ryan? I've heard of it. This? I, I've heard of it, but I would like to actually get some perspective on it because it's it's a it's a title that's like shown up on my Twitter feed a few times, come across my ears a few times, but I don't know much about it. Yeah, it is a fascinating piece of literature. So it is written by this guy named Mark Z. Daniel Danieluski, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, it was published in the year two thousand, and it is a, uh, a really really interesting book. So the the premise of it is it's sort of about this fictional movie called the Navitson record that it's like a documentary that this guy makes about um, a space that he discovers in his house that is actually wider than it should be by all laws of physics. Like the, the, he takes a measuring tape and realizes that like this opening, this sort of, it's like a portal to another world almost has, has opened up in his house and uh, it eventually turns into like him grabbing all of this um, film equipment and everything and leading expeditions into this like otherworldly <laughs> place that is just like this dark void. And there's 
maybe monsters. There's maybe some weird stuff going on there. And it's all like massive, like, you know, hundreds of miles and, you know, all contained with uh, ostensibly within this guy's house. But, um, you know, opening up into this huge cavernous space that is, you know, just miles and miles long. And it, so it, it almost has like a, a horror movie kind of, um, not quite Blair Witch, but like, because it's supposed to be a documentary, it kind of has that feel to it. And then there's like a, uh, almost like a framing device around it where, um, the, the book is really about this, this other sort of, um, man, it's, it's so tough to describe this. So hopefully I'm, I'm doing a decent it sounds, job, but it's it sounds a, really cool based on like that loose description. Like it sounds very much up my alley for sure. <laughs> yeah. So like the framing device is that there's this guy who is writing about this fictional movie and, and um, you know, like citing all of these academic sources about it. And like, uh, this movie apparently was like a huge deal in the culture of this uh, of this fake world that this book exists in where like, you know, uh, all of the people involved with it were interviewed for all these other sites. So this, this book, House of Leaves, is full of these footnotes of like, you know, this person spoke to National Geographic who did this big feature <laughs> on this movie. And like none of this actually happened because it's all just this, you know, meta on meta on meta layers and layers deep of like what is uh, reality, what is fiction, what's going on. And then to add even further to that, I think the the most interesting way to sort of set up the dichotomy of what's going on in this book is that there are footnotes all over the place, but there's also like a separate um, level of footnote that is written by a guy who has discovered the manuscript that you're holding in your Holy hands. Shit. And as he, <laughs> as he reads it, he's sort of losing his mind. And he has a whole story where he's like this tattoo artist who's based in LA. And he's just sort of like, uh, trying to figure out the truth of what happened in this uh, in this book and in this documentary, and it's just the the book at a, at certain points um, gets to the point where like uh, you'll be flipping a page and it'll look normal, and then you'll flip to the next page and there will be three words on a page, and then there will be one word on the next page, and the next page the, all the text will be upside down or some of it will be diagonal on the page, and it all like sort of represents this insane um, headspace that these different characters are in or like the literal spaces that the characters are traveling through, like in that weird cavernous underground area where like time moves differently. And so that is like reflected literally on the page, uh, you know, as these characters are sort of like um, experiencing this bizarre uh, otherworldly area. So, it, I mean, th this entire book is just like this giant mind fuck. Um, and it's, it's very long and, uh, and like kind of tough to get through. Cause at times it feels like an academic study of a thing that, you know, deep down doesn't actually exist and they're treating uh, it like super seriously. Um, but I have to say that like the, the narrative in it is fascinating and like almost addicting to like, I, I really want to know what happens here. So this movie or um, this movie, it sort of feels like a movie at certain points, but this book really grabbed me. Um, and yeah, it's, it's one of those that like you, I'd seen a lot of people mention, I mean, it's over 20 years old now, but I think because of the, the sort of like uh, complexity of what the hell this thing even is, um, it got on a lot of people's radar and sort of became like this cult book of like, it's almost like passed around and, in whispered tones and people being like, you read this thing? Like, do you know what this, it's, it's almost like a, like you feel like you've, you've performed some sort of physical accomplishment by reading it just because it's, there's so many times where you have to flip the book upside down and sort of read things backwards. And it's just like this whole, 
uh, yeah, it's like an experience instead of just reading a book. So it's called House of Leaves. If any of that makes sense to any of you or intrigues any of you, I'd recommend reading it. It's um, if, if you're looking, for, if you kind of are intrigued by that, but don't want like the full experience, there's another book called S that was written by Doug Dorst um, based on an idea by J.J. Abrams a name familiar to anyone listening to this, uh, that is kind of the same thing. It's like a, a um, you don't have to flip the book upside down in that one, but it's like a book. And then uh, these two characters are having back and forth discussions in the margins where they've written, they've handwritten notes to each other. Um, oh, that's the premise is that they like, they discovered this book on their campus and like they're, they leave it in the library and the other one picks it up and leave, reads what the, the previous one had written and responds and all of that. So um, it's a little bit like this, but like a, like a diet Coke version of this. And this uh. is like, no, it, that's not even fair. It's like diet Coke and, and house of leaves is like full on cocaine or something. It's okay. Like, so it's a bit of a, yeah. Okay. Well, cause my <laughs> thing was like, I tend to do audiobooks because I think like, I ostensibly read and write for a living. And so like, mm-hmm. unfortunately what happens a lot of the time is when I get off of work, like I don't just want to just pick up a book and right. I wish yeah. that were true. But so then I started doing audiobooks. but this sounds like something would be lost in translation. If I did an audiobook. it almost seems a hundred percent. Yeah. This is yeah. absolutely like a, a sort of love letter to the written word. And like the, the physical act of reading a book is sort of like baked into the, the sort of like, uh, yeah, like the very premise of this thing, you kind of like have to have to read it instead and experience it that way instead of uh, checking out an audiobook. It of pains it. So me to I don't even know if that, audiobook that, exists. Yeah. But. yeah, I don't even know if that because I just I you know, the, the past few times I tried that with something, I just never ended up getting through it. And then like, I just that's why I just committed to audiobooks now because I will finish them. And it's a way for yeah. me to sort of to sort of get around that. But yeah, I might that, that sounds my other question is, do you know, has has anyone attempted to option this for like a movie or yeah, something? So I believe that the uh, the author, Mark Z. Danieluski, actually himself, I think, wrote several scripts for a TV version like not too long ago, like a few years ago. And 2017, it says on, on Wikipedia that he entered talks to adapt the novel into a TV series. Um, but that actually never ended up happening. And uh, I think he published the screenplays online. So those are out there. If you have read the book and are interested in, in sort of checking out what his adaptation might have looked like or, or sort of felt like, um, I, I think it's supposed to be the screenplays were like a sequel to the book. This is what Wikipedia is telling me here. Oh, um, wow. I have not sought those out myself. So it, it I don't think it's going to be a, a direct adaptation, but um, yeah, more something like in that universe or sort of maybe continuing the story in some way. I haven't really looked up that part. Uh, well, of just it in the it era, is, like I said, so. Yeah. Well, the yeah. only reason I asked is because in the era of like peak TV and every streaming service needing something, this just sounds like something that I, it just seems like something that someone might've tried to scoop up by now. And, and I'm, I'm not, after hearing you describe it, I'm not unconvinced that that won't get circled <laughs> back to at some point. You know, what's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about this um, too much until you brought that up, but like the idea of an adaptation um, that we were just talking on, uh, I think an episode earlier this week of slash film daily, where we we're talking about the Sundance movies that we saw this year. And Chris mentioned this film from Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead called yep. something in the dirt. And that movie are, is about like these guys who discover a sort of maybe supernatural thing in their apartment. And that movie is kind of what I imagine a an adaptation of, of parts of House of Leaves might feel like. It sort of has a little bit of that energy where it's sort of like tinged with 
horror, but there's like a lot of um, just a lot of talking and, and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, but there, there's like, yeah, it, it feels contained, but then uh, opened out into like this really uh, larger, interesting world. So um, yeah, if, if you're looking for a movie and that has, sort of has kind of close to that vibe, check out Something in the Dirt when that eventually comes out. I am very excited for that movie based on what I've read about it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, okay, so I, I talked for way too long. I read one <laughs> other book that I just finished this morning, but I'm going to save that for another episode. So Ryan, what have you been reading recently? Uh, me, your resident um, literary here, has been, has been digging into uh, several floppy comic book series. Uh, I, I actually, my, one of the big problems, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but like I, one of the things that I do that is the most seemingly outside of my regular interest is that I watch a ton of football. And so like, luckily the NFL season's winding down because that takes like a ton of time, uh, like mm-hmm. free time. So now I'm finally going to be able to start circling back to like comics and games and stuff. But I've been trying to keep up with the star Wars high Republic, uh, main comic from Marvel, uh, which, um, has been really interesting. The star Wars high Republic stuff is, for those who may not know, it's like a gigantic publishing initiative that takes place like roughly 200 years before the events of the prequels. And all of the stories kind of stand on their own, but they all tie together. And the comic is is tackling some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, Kevin Scott has been writing it. And um, it, yeah, it's just it's just it's a pretty unique type of Star Wars story uh, uh, up to the first arc that I've read through. Um there's not a ton to say about it, like unless you're like super into Star Wars, like. But uh, but I just in general like the High Republic stuff is stuff that I have really taken to, like as an era for Star Wars star- storytelling. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, anyone that's sort of as as ingrained in Star Wars as I am, I would recommend maybe maybe getting on the High Republic train. Um, I don't know where you're. Are like, you completely caught up? Oh no! Well, uh, well the High uh, Republic. <laughs> Well, the High Republic stuff is like there's so much of it, so it's almost hard to be caught up, you know, like overall, like I've read my select stuff, but. Oh, oh, I see. So uh, there, I mean, I know that there are like, uh, it's a whole publishing initiative, right? There's like novels and all sorts of stuff that, yes. that works into it. But like, are you, are you caught up just on the, on the comic side of it? Uh, I'm like three issues back, I think. Um, So I got okay. through like the, the initial like six issue arc. And I think like the first 12 issues made for like a full arc of what, like the wave one titles, like that was the first full wave one arc. And then, um, and then like starting with, I think issue 13, it goes into like a whole other, whole other story. Cause like they're doing the, the high Republic stuff in like different waves. So like there, gotcha. there'll be like, yeah. So, so it's kind of like complicated in that sense but yeah i've read a couple of the other novels like the full novels too if anyone's interested the first novel was a uh, uh, light of the jedi which charles soul wrote and that's kind of like the where, where all this high republic stuff starts and then you can kind of go mm-hmm. where you want to go from there but that's really should be your starting point i think excellent um, yeah i i have not really opted into the really anything in the star wars universe beyond just the the main movies um so there, there's a whole corner of uh or, uh bigger than a corner now like a whole half or more of a, a galaxy far far away that is just completely outside my realm of uh, of knowledge so I, i'm glad that we have people like you ryan who are like so thrilled to to dive in and explore that stuff because i think there's like a lot of people obviously that that are uh, super into that whole um side of things so yeah no i definitely uh, especially once marvel picked up the the licensing rights again once once um 
Disney bought him out. Like I, I, it was a good jumping back on point for a lot of the comics and stuff. And like the Darth Vader comic from Charles soul is one of the best star Wars stories you're ever to encounter in any medium. Um, you know, so yeah, that's, that's another one that I would recommend to people a lot, but, uh, but yeah, it can be a bit like of a bottomless pit, um, <laughs> you know, because there's yeah. so much of it out there. Although you did, I will say, just since I have you here, you were instrumental in putting, helping me put together one of the coolest things I've ever written, which was the Darth Plagueis piece we put out a few weeks ago. Uh, even though you hadn't really dealt with the expanded universe, you helped me kind of get that put together. So I should thank oh, you. Oh, yeah, that turned out. Yeah, no problem, man. That, that turned out really well. I was really glad that we were able to do that and, and you're able to uh, to speak with the author and everything. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, that was um, cool. All right. What else have you been reading, Ryan? A couple other comic book series. These are both image comics things. Uh, one, I've only gotten through the first three issues of it, but it's called Time Before Time. Um, if you were like a fan of the movie Looper, uh, I couldn't recommend enough that you check this out. It, and it's a good example of like, I think a lot of people who don't typically read comics tend to think of comics as like, you know, soap opera, superhero of the week stories. And like, they're not, uh, and uh, they don't have to be anyway. And time before time is one of those things where instantly I'm like, okay, let's whatever, however many issues this is going to run for. I'm, I'm on board, but yeah, it's a little, it's a little tough to explain, but basically it's in a, you know, real somewhat distant future where time travel is a thing and, and it's pretty illegal and there's sort of shady organizations that are centered around it. And uh, you, you kind of focus on a couple of guys who are sort of grunts in this future universe. And, you know, some stuff happens that that messes up their their routine and, and you end up in a bit of a time hopping situation with some crime. And uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, the artwork is very like like kind of sketchy, noir and it's and it's but it's colorful at the same time. And and it's interesting how it's not jarring how much it jumps around these various timelines and just make it seems like kind of mundane. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's called Time Before Time. Time Before Time. Awesome. And then the last one I won't bore too much about, but Radiant Black is another one that is a uh, image is kind of currently putting together like a shared superhero universe. And Radiant Black was like the first book I believe in that. But it is for like anyone who who loves superhero stuff it is the first time in a long time where like i've jumped on with a new superhero thing and felt really reinvigorated by it like it didn't feel even though it feels like a superhero thing and familiar in some ways it felt so fresh and uh man yeah if you're just in for like a new superhero thing radiant black i cannot i think they're eight or ten issues in now i'm a few issues back but just phenomenal stuff like just top to bottom like excellent superhero storytelling so very cool. All right. Radiant Black. Check that out. Uh, all right. Let's get into what we've been watching. Ryan, what have you been watching recently? I saw Moonfall last night. I got to see it a bit early. Uh, have you have you taken in the Moonfall yet, Ben? I, I have not experienced the fall of the moon, unfortunately. But uh, what did you think about it? Uh, again, I, I say this a lot, but I'm kind of a rube. I'm not like the best student of film. I like popcorn movies. I like entertainment more than art. And, uh, and uh, man, Moonfall checked every single box for me man it, like unironically because like there there are bad disaster movies and roland emmerich has made his fair share but like this mm-hmm. felt sort of armageddon-y like and and a little bit more bombastic but like you know th- that kind of super that kind of disaster movie that used to qualify as a blockbuster before the age of franchise films uh yep, yep. man oh just like i i really had an unironic blast with it i really did um, it's super silly and you need to sort of be on board for that. But if you can be on board for that, just, just a great time. 
Yeah, Chris Evangelista talks sometimes about like uh, movies that he watches while he's working out on like a, a treadmill or, or an elliptical or something like that. And this sort of feels like that perfect uh, kind of thing for for me who like I don't think because I've only seen a handful of movies in theaters since the pandemic started. I don't think I'm going to like trek out, you know, and uh, into uh, the bizarre state of Florida to see Moonfall in theaters. But this is definitely something that I'm curious about. And I feel like, uh, you know, un- under the right circumstances would be uh, a ton of fun to watch. So I've, I've seen a lot of like mixed response from this people being like, oh, my God, this movie is so stupid. But then I've, I've seen a lot of people, you know, internally within our slash film group um, who really seem to be like on the movie's wavelength. And you're one of those people. So I, I, th- I feel like it really is like one of those big wavelength movies. If you're like willing to just sort of uh, meet the movie where it is, like, it sounds like you'll have a pretty good time with it. But that's kind of with anything, though, right? Like I, I it's something I kind of gripe about sometimes where, you know, certain certain viewers will sort of place expectations on a thing that don't belong on that thing. Um, like my classic example is like the movie John Carpenter's Vampires. Well, the movie definitely delivers on the promise of its title, so it's hard to bitch about it. Um, and like, and like, Moonfall is another like, look, do not go see a movie called Moonfall if you if you are at all uninterested in that. You know what I mean? You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. So, but yeah, like you said, yeah, if I you think meet the, if you can meet the movie where it's at, you're gonna have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So you mentioned the NFL. You've been watching some uh, some playoff games too. I wish it was just some. I I I'm one of those guys that uh, football to me is like an all encompassing obsession. Like I don't even just have a team. I I, I I jokingly say that I love the the TV show that is the NFL. Um, so <laughs> do you do so, like fantasy sports? Is that part of it, or is it just like a a love for the game that that keeps you in it? So this is what's so like I, I the couple times I did fantasy, I hated it. Because it made me watch football for the wrong reasons. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. watching the game for the sake of the game. So I actually am very much like a sports drama guy. Like I want to be able like and this year anyone I don't I really don't know what our cross section of listeners is that's gonna give a shit, but but like the, this year's <laughs> NFL playoffs was like maybe the best batch of games I've ever seen in like an NFL postseason. It was insane. So like it was just if you're into that sort of thing, it was excellent television, and uh, and this is the most excited I've been for a Super Bowl in a long time. So, um, yeah, it's I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Very cool. And then you've also been catching up a little bit with uh, the Book of Boba Fett, which I, I think you've maybe if I if my memory serves me correctly, you've mentioned sort of obliquely in some <laughs> of your episodes with Peter, but haven't really gotten to uh, like fully, um, I guess articulate your your thoughts on the show so why don't you take a take the floor here and just tell me what you've been thinking about the show so far i i i don't know if we've talked about this one of the things i detest most in this world is being overtly negative um uh i I, especially in this line of work it's it's unneeded uh that said i am currently wearing a very expensive boba fett watch and looking at my boba fett pop figure on my desk and uh, had been looking forward to many, many, many years of, of a Boba Fett solo project of some kind. And uh, I still stand by my statement that was made, I think, after the second episode, that I find it hard to believe that anyone who was excited for a Boba Fett show or movie would be excited about what we ultimately got. Um, mm. uh, the past two episodes have been amazing, but they have nothing to do with the show that was promised to us. I don't want to get into spoilers here in case people haven't haven't watched, but... Yeah, I am. I, I don't know if I've been this disappointed in a Star Wars thing ever in my life. Uh, so I. Wow. Uh, yeah, it is. It is a. 
it's a it's a rough it's a rough blow. Uh, so like I, I you know I don't want to drag it to hell or anything, but I just it it it, <laughs> it has uh it has bummed me out uh to know. Well, I got to tell you, Ryan, that's sort of how I felt about The Mandalorian. Uh, and I I watched the first season of that show. And again, like I am, I'm, um, I don't know if if you could call me like a an average Star Wars fan or not, but because I don't have any um, familiarity with the, with any of the an- animated stuff or uh, any of the other shows or whatever, um, it's basically just been the movies uh, that, that have sort of um, fed my appreciation for the franchise. Um, you know, when I watched the Mandalorian, I was like, Oh, uh, I see. I see what this is. This is not really my thing. And I was, I was pretty disappointed because I really liked a lot of the people involved with that production, but it was just like, not my, it was not aimed at me. Um, and so I basically pulled the, the ejector seat <laughs> like right after I, I watched the first season for work and then did not, I've not watched any more star Wars television and really don't plan to like, uh, even the, the Obi-Wan stuff, like, uh, Ahsoka, none of it. I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty much out on all things star Wars until a new movie comes back around, like a uh, Patty Jenkins movie about the uh, Rogue Squadron Rogue or whatever that sounded yeah. interesting to me. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm just like uh, putting bumpers on myself where I'm just going to pay attention to the Star Wars movies. And thankfully, now we have a big enough staff at Slash Film where um, I, I have the the privilege of not having to to pay much attention to it, other than just like editing people's posts and making sure there's no typos and stuff like that. Right. So, uh, I, I'm like vaguely curious, I guess, about like what the sentiment is, but I just have no, I'm no longer like invested in star Wars storytelling until they return to the big screen. Um, that's probably like a, I, like I said, I have no idea if that's uh, reflective of like any sort of average star Wars viewer. Um, Cause I know that there's so many diehard people who are just like eating up every single thing right. that happens uh, in that world. So I'm just, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm sad to hear that you're sort of crestfallen at, at this show because, but I know how you feel. Um, yeah. So, but I uh, think it's interesting though, yeah. because, because like the movies are obviously always going to be, and I think the only thing that they're doing right now that I'm worried about is sort of diminishing the, the brand theatrically. Uh, mm, is what I'm mm-hmm. concerned that they might be doing, and same with Marvel actually to some degree with the, with the shows. But but um but yeah, like what's interesting? It's so interesting to hear you say that about Mandalorian because my mom is like a gigantic Star Wars fan and like you know indoctrinated me young, but she did not like follow the Clone Wars or any of the animated stuff. But when Mandalorian came around, my mom loved the Mandalorian. Like she was all about you know like just live action Star Wars TV, but she hadn't had any of the primer of like animated characters or anything like that so like she didn't care when ahsoka showed up but like it still worked for her in the context of like the show so i find that i find your perspective on that kind of interesting yeah i i wonder if um it was a little bit and sorry to like just completely continue to harp on this point that probably nobody cares about but uh i I wonder (laughs) if um if part of it is like me pulling the ripcord knowing you know that dave filoni is uh is sort of the way he is and, and just sort of anticipating what ultimately ended up happening over the what it sounds like what happened in the last couple episodes of book of boat fett where like um I, I did not want to uh you know maybe fall in love with a particular story only to have you know more of the the rebels and all of that lore that i have no connection to 
to, to only to have that, you know, sort of overshadow whatever narrative uh, I happen to be interested in. Um, and I, I sort of got the sense that like that could happen at any moment, even watching the first season of The Mandalorian. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why I was just like, you know, I just don't want to, I think we, we either have already published or are going to publish soon an, uh, an editorial from somebody on the site about like uh, this era of, of sort of geek friendly um, film and television sometimes feeling like you, you have to do so much homework in order to uh, just like watch or appreciate a thing. Um, and I'm kind of like a, you know, there's part of me that loves like diving into the source material ahead of time and like reading the book and then seeing the movie and, and sort of comparing the adaptation changes and whatever. Like if it's something that I'm super passionate about, I love that. But if I'm, if it's something like uh, star Wars where I'm just sort of like a passive fan of it or like a, you know, like I, I'm, I'm um, intrigued and curious, but not like a, a diehard, then any um, introduction of like, oh, here's this person who you probably know from, but you have to do 30 hours of research to fully understand this kind of thing. Any sort of like blindsiding uh, storytelling device like that, it just sort of rubs me the wrong way. So um, I think I maybe sensed a little bit of where this could go. And that's, that's what happened. So I, I don't know, hopefully, um, maybe I'm speaking to one other listener out there who feels the same way. But I'm guessing there are a lot of people who are just screaming at their podcast devices right now. No, even shut up because I don't know no, what I'm talking about. Even as someone who loves this stuff and goes in, I don't think homework should be a prerequisite for this stuff. Like, like I, you know, because I didn't watch the Clone Wars for a very long time. Because like the first couple of seasons of Clone Wars were rough, you know, like, yeah. and I, and you know, I don't care. And people get mad at me for saying that. I do not care. Like I, I, I <laughs> Clone Wars is, is a show that has seven seasons and, and God help me. There is just not that much great in those seven seasons. Whereas like for my money, Star Wars Rebels was like top to bottom. Great. But, but I, but I, but I think like, and I think Marvel does a slightly okay job at this, but I think they're starting to dig themselves in a hole a bit of like, yeah, yeah, like like Shang Chi was uh, Shang Chi was a really good example of like that movie really just felt like it stood on its own. You know, there were a couple mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. things, but like, you know, you don't it didn't hurt the movie if you didn't know. And and I, I think that's the way that these things should go. And I guess I just felt encouraged that my mom watched Mandalorian and didn't feel burdened by not knowing things. But I guess I guess it's different for us too because we're so entrenched in this stuff. And so right. we sort of like have a completely different perspective on. You know. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say, just to completely alienate anybody who may have been on my side in this situation, <laughs> I just uh, like the second I saw Baby Yoda, I was just like, no, I'm out. Like, oh, I, wow. I just felt like it was completely manipulative and like wow. uh, totally designed to like uh, as like meme fodder. And like, I was wow. just like, no, I'm not interested in this at all. So it's <laughs> um, a, a super cynical perspective, but that, that oh. is what I, uh, that was what I, I felt. So I just got to speak my truth to you, Ryan. I but, don't um, remember any media and I'm not even a big TV guy. I'm very much a movie guy, but that first episode of the Mandalorian, having no idea what to expect, even having seen all the footage I had seen at star Wars celebration, that last moment of that episode, like the feeling I got where I was like, holy <laughs> shit, it's so interesting. to <laughs> Like, but that, but, it, but in your defense, I do see that as a valid viewpoint 
even if it is tough for me to sort of like digest that viewpoint. Like I get yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think also, um, I swear to God, this is the last thing I'm going to say about it because <laughs> we've been talking about this for a long time. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's rare that I've talked to somebody about Star Wars that, uh, you know, hasn't already, like, you know, my other colleagues that have been on the podcast with me, I've known them for years at this point. So it's just interesting for me to talk to somebody uh, new about this who is also like super entrenched in it. Um, but the, uh, I think if the, the Mandalorian season one had been more than just uh, episodic sort of quest of the week stuff after they introduced Baby Yoda, um, then I would have been maybe more on board with it. But like, uh, I, I couldn't, um, uh, I couldn't uh, swallow both at the same time. And and I know people love the the sort of like uh, one off nature of that show, but I just didn't. Coming from the movies as my my primary um, source, I just felt like maybe there's enough story episode or you know story material in season one of the mandalorian for like one or two episodes instead of what they stretched it out to um so i think if this if the narrative was more propulsive all the way through and it felt like you know baby yoda was actually like uh na- uh um integrated into the narrative in a in a way that felt more um urgent i guess uh, for the mm. series overall than i would have been able to sort of um you know, uh, look past my, um, my cynical bullshit, uh, take of like, oh, this is just made to sell toys. Cause like they actually did, uh, go out of their way to, to not have that leak. And they could have sold way more toys by, you know, taking a different approach. With yeah. That I wrote, I wrote actually, a thing. Like, I wrote a thing before I actually got to slash one a while back about, there was a really good estimation of how much they left on the table, uh, in terms of money yeah. by not doing that. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, it's interesting because, well, I, maybe we should move on because I, I don't want to talk about Star Wars <laughs> yes, for three yes. hours. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, let, let's move. Yeah, because I, I won't shut up. So let's let's just let's okay. just go. All right. So um, one other thing that I've been watching is I, I finally finished Only Murders in the Building, and this was a show that uh, HT tried to get me to watch uh, not too long ago, and she was really like saying like, "Hey, this show is actually like really good," and I had watched like the first I think two or maybe three episodes. Um, this is a show on Hulu that stars Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. It's a, a murder mystery comedy the, series. The trio um, everyone had been waiting for their whole life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I I just didn't really know what she was talking about. I, I kind of felt like it got off to a really, really slow start. And I was just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm, I thought it was okay, but it wasn't really enough to like get me excited to come back to it. Maybe I'll eventually check it out. And then so after those first three episodes, I think I waited a month or something. And then as soon as I watched, I want to say it was episode four, uh, I immediately watched episode five and then just like finished the, the series in a, in a blaze right after that, basically. And and now having seen the whole thing, I totally see what, what she is talking about and ended up really, really liking the show overall. Um, I just think for me, it got off to a little bit of a start, a slow start. So if anybody else out there, um, you know, gave the show a chance, but maybe gave up, you know, a couple episodes in or something. I think it's worth finishing just that first season at least because there's some really, really super funny physical comedy stuff. Um, there's one guest star that comes in near the end of the season that I had no idea was going to be there and does some some physical comedy with Steve Martin that is just, uh, you know, it, it brought me a lot of joy. So um, Only Murders in the Buildings on Hulu if you want to check that out. Um, I, I would definitely encourage you to do so. Have you seen that show, Ryan? I I, I keep meaning. I, so I'm so bad with TV. Like I really need to. But like Steve Martin to me, there's nobody that's ever been better at physical comedy than than uh, Steve Martin. Like if you see, if you ever see Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and 
the moment oh, where yeah. he's where he's trying to act like his legs have no feeling in them and Michael Caine is whipping him with that with that <laughs> and like Steve I'm my god like so the idea you just saying that I think sold me on it more than anything anyone has said so far cuz yeah, yeah I, it's, it's it's been it's on my really list good. I'm just so bad with TV like I really am terrible like uh, even TV I love like I'll I'll just abandon it at some point because I'm just tired of of the I guess in, I guess in, in the era of TV as it exists, I'm tired of like 10 hour movies getting stretched and like narratives yeah. never settling down. And the example I always give is that for seven years, everyone yelled at me like I was an idiot for not watching Game of Thrones. And they're like, you idiot. And <laughs> yeah. I watched the first season. I didn't care. Everyone just screaming. At me like, how can you write about this stuff for a living? You don't watch the best thing, you idiot. And then the last season, boy, everyone shut up real quick. Uh, and then like, you know, I just. That's my whole thing. Do I really want to waste eight years of my life to be disappointed in some of these cases? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other conversation that maybe could could fill an entire podcast on itself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that one alone. Right. No, um, but I'm just saying. <laughs> but that was like an example for me. So, but I think something like Only Murders in the Building, where it's clearly billed more in like a shorter, like it's not billed to yeah. go ten seasons. Like I think, like I, I think that's correct. They are coming back with the second season, and they've added some interesting folks to the cast that I'm excited about. But I, I wonder if it's probably. I, I mean, I actually am hoping that it's only going to be, you know, maybe like a three or four season tops kind of thing because I, you don't want to stretch that premise too far. And it seems like they're smart enough to to not do that. So, and I think outside um, of network TV now, like in the age of streaming, I think we're done with like ten episode or ten season shows. Like I think. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I think three or four seasons like I, for various reasons. And this is we don't need to get into all this, but I don't think we're really going to see a whole lot of that anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, I think that era is kind of done. OK, so one other thing that I watched uh, last night, the night before, is uh, a movie from 1930 called Raffles, which uh, I recorded from Turner Classic Movies. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. It is streaming on Canopy, which if you have a library card, um, that's a service that you can get for free. Oh, is that what library. Canopy is? Yeah. Oh, because I, I used to be like their, their, their okay. audiobook app. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know they had one for streaming, too. Yeah, I don't know if does uh, does Libby do movies or is that just audiobooks? So I just do or it's audiobooks or regular books, but like, but yeah, it's same thing. Like you have a library card and you get this app okay. and you can just rent, you know, books for free. Yeah, I think the thing with Canopy is that the local library that you have your card with has to like opt in or like pay some sort of yearly fee or something to to sort of be able to present its uh, membership with. Um, access to Canopy and my local library does not. So that's kind of a bummer, but maybe if you live in a big city or something like that, um, you know, some of the, the libraries near you uh, might have it there. So uh, this movie is called Raffles from 1930. You can watch it there. There's actually been like several Raffles movies um, and, you know, one in like 1939 and there were come a couple silent movies that are sort of based on the same story. Um, if you want to rent it, you can do that on Apple TV plus and, uh, and, Amazon right now too. So um, I'm gonna I'm just going to review the, the synopsis of this. A distinguished English gentleman has a secret life. He is the notorious jewel thief the press has dubbed the amateur cracksman. When he meets a woman and falls in love, he decides to retire from that life, but an old friend comes to him with a predicament that entails him com uh, committing one last job. So I read that and I was like, of course I'm going to watch this movie. <laughs> of course I'm going to watch this. Uh, and it was great. It's, it's exactly what you think it's going to be um, a movie from 1930 with that premise. It, it delivers, it sort of checks all those boxes. Like you said earlier um, about Moonfall and it's uh, it just does exactly what you think it's going to do. If you're, if you're into movies like uh, um, or, or the, the Netflix show Lupin or like the, um, 
you know, the, the castle of Cagliostro or like the, the concept in general of like gentlemen thieves, gentlemen burglars or whatever. This is another one of those. And it's uh, a lot of fun. So you are um, speaking Ronald my Coleman, language. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, really, I mean, uh, you know, it's like an hour and 15 minutes long or something. So that helps too. Uh, Ronald Coleman stars in it. And I thought he did a great job. I don't think I've seen him in anything else, but um, yeah, it's a, a lot of fun. Um, just like I said, very sort of straightforward right down the middle uh, raffles from 1930. Uh, and then the only other two things that I wanted to mention really briefly are um, I'm still making my way through the filmography of Hayao Miyazaki. And so recently I watched Kiki's Delivery Service and Porco Rosso for the first time and really, really enjoyed both of them. I think Kiki is like, um, I mean, it's just a, a terrific piece of storytelling. Like I, I can't get over how like the, the quality level across all of these Studio Ghibli movies that I just never uh never checked out before for whatever reason um whatever aversion to anime i had i don't know what it is but i'm i'm really glad that i'm finally uh giving these movies a chance because every single one of them i i've seen so far i've just been like man this rules like this is so great i'm so dumb for missing out on on all of this for all these years so i've been uh, putting them off myself because i have that aversion to anime because i've tried to get an anime and i can't get an anime and everyone like really they they will like and the other day it came up in Slack, someone, someone like kindly, aggressively was like, you need to watch the movies. And I think I, I think I finally will at some point. But yeah, Kiki's okay, so is if, one of the ones people talk about a lot. Yeah. And, and Ryan, for you, since you reacted so positively to my description of raffles and that whole gentleman thief <laughs> thing, I would recommend for you specifically to go to Netflix and just watch The Castle of Cagliostro, because that is uh, Miyazaki's first movie that he made before founding Studio Ghibli. And it is a... Uh, a gentleman thief movie and it freaking rules. I love okay. it so much. It, uh, it is like one of the best animated movies I've seen period, not just anime, but animated movies that I've ever seen. It's just like exactly in my wheelhouse and so perfect and so much fun. Um, so definitely start there and then move your way through the rest of the, the Miyazaki stuff. And I think you'll have a really good experience. Um, I Porco think you Rosso, sold me, man. I think you sold me. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is a lot of fun too. It's, it's, um, Kiki is about this, this girl who is a, a witch and she moves to a different town and, and tries to, uh, like by herself, actually with her, her uh, pet cat who speaks to her and she just tries to like make it in the big city and forms a, a um, little company of with one employee herself where she delivers things flying around on her broomstick. And it's this really, really uh, lovely movie about um, creativity and, and what it can feel like when you um, sort of hit a wall and like you, you maybe think that you'll never be able to do what you could do at one point before and just like finding the doing things for the love of the, of the game and like finding the, the um, yeah, just sort of like the love in the act of, of doing things instead of doing things for the wrong reasons. Um, so Kiki's is, is wonderful. And I, I remember HT having written at least one sort of uh, glowing like essay about that, that I, now I need to go back and, and read because I uh, skipped it before I'd bookmarked it because I'd never seen the movie. And then Porco Rosso is like this film uh, about this guy who has been turned into like a pig man. Uh, they don't really explain it. There was some sort of curse or something, but he was a, a World War I uh, ex-fighter ace who is now like uh, hunting down air pirates because he's a bounty hunter. And it's just this like soaring 1940s-esque um, sort of like ho- big Hollywood throwback. It feels like Errol Flynn could have starred in huh. the live action version of this kind of thing. Uh, and it's about this young girl that 
that sort of gets hooked up with this guy, this this weird pig man who's who's fallen under this curse. And this young girl is like uh, obsessed with um, with airplanes and like she's a mechanic and as a designer and she sort of falls in with him and he's like kind of a gruff son of a bitch kind of character who like is a little bit sexist and doesn't think that this young girl is going to be able to help him out. And they end up forming this really um, nice partnership. And there's a big rivalry with a, another, uh, like an American um, uh, air pirate kind of guy. And it's just a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, Kiki's delivery service and Porco Rosa are both now streaming on HBO max. If you want to check those out. Cool. Uh, boy, I don't know if I'll watch it, but that description of Porco Rosa was like, really? Because <laughs> I've seen like stills from that movie and I'm not sure that like I would have ever picked out that being the description of the plot. That's wild. Yeah, yeah I saw the, uh, the 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 one still, I guess, that's on HBO Max, like the tile image or whatever. And it's just the, this pig giving a thumbs up to the camera wearing, you know, wrapped right. in a scarf and like, you know, in a, in a uh, uh, cockpit or whatever. And I was kind of like, ah. I don't know about this one and i watched it and just sort of ended up falling in love with it just like i have with all the other miyazaki stuff so um, i don't know why i, I was doubting it even then um but uh but yeah it's 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 just as good so it's it's really really fun there there are different like little uh you know peaks and valleys within the, the miyazaki stuff but there's a, a consistent level of quality across all of it that um that just like is super impressive so uh, okay, I've been talking for long enough. Um, Ryan, what have you been playing real quick before we wrap this yeah, up? Yeah, before we wrap up, so I, so I, I uh, uh, video games are sort of like my long lost love in the world. Like I grew up, video games were like super important to me. And in my adult years, as much as I still buy consoles and like pretend like I'll game, I don't that often anymore. And it bums me out. But like I, uh, when Halo Infinite came out, I was like, all right, I gotta get, man, oh man. If anyone like fell off of Halo for a while, the multiplayer for Halo Infinite is some of the most fun you can have getting really upset at strangers on the internet. Um, <laughs> man, oh man. Like, it is it is so good. It is so, so, so good. And uh, if you have Xbox Game Pass, it's it's just free with Game Pass, which is amazing. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, especially with the show coming out, I guess maybe, like, to tie it back to stuff that might be relevant to our audience. But yeah, like, uh, mm -hmm. no, Halo Infinite is, like, just a, just a, I grew up just screaming at my friends playing halo all afternoon, you know, on weekends. So like, so, so, uh, yeah, no, it is a, it is just a phenomenal like execution of that style of gameplay. Uh, and it prevented me from playing other things because I got so into just, just continuously, you know, like match after match. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so good. So good. Uh, and then, and then I just picked up, I was the only guy in the world when I bought my Nintendo Switch and picked up Zelda Breath of the Wild that I didn't enjoy Breath of the Wild. Uh, so I just interesting. I I sort of I played it for a long time and then fell off because I felt like the world was like too big and that was my I exact problem. It was too open. I couldn't get into it. And so, I, sorry, I didn't mean to. But yeah, that was my exact problem with it. Like it was just too. Yeah, open. yeah. Uh, so I, okay, cool. So I picked up. Uh, there was a kind of a prequel game called Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Uh, and and it uh, Hyrule, sorry, not Hyrule. But yeah, like, so that was more what I wanted, where it's like directional hack and slash stuff, but like mm -hmm. still in that world and like all of it still looks gorgeous and amazing. But you're just like, OK, cool. I'm going to, you know, hit three buttons in combination, murder these hordes of monsters and the game will guide me where I need to go. And like, so I've actually like, I, I'm getting out of that game what I wanted to get out of Breath of the Wild from a personal standpoint. 
Okay. And then real quick, Ryan, just to like bring this back to the, the anime conversation from before, um, I think uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and Castle in the Sky, which were two of the Miyazaki movies that I watched recently, um, it, it feels like they pretty much could take place within the world of uh, Breath of the Wild. It feels like the Breath of the Wild designers like watch those, definitely watch those <laughs> movies and incorporated a lot of visual similarities into the production design of the game. So even though uh, you and I both ended up tapping out of that experience, I liked a lot of like the look and the aesthetic of what was going on there. And that stuff is captured super, super well in the Miyazaki stuff. So if you are on that same page, there's another reason, yet another reason to uh, to hopefully give those movies a shot. Oh, cool. That is actually, yeah, because that was why I was so bummed. Like, People were talking about Breath of the Wild like it was going to change my life. And I was so excited. And I just, and I loved a lot of the older Zelda games. But yeah, it was just once I dug into it, I was like, man, this is just too open for me to actually enjoy. And so I guess that's why like this game was so refreshing because it was like, okay, this is what I was hoping I would get out of that. And so it's been like, it's been, even though like this game was not met with as much acclaim as Breath of the Wild, uh, from one player's perspective, I, I got that I got that little buzz that everyone else seemed to get out of Breath of the Wild for so, you know, for whatever that may be worth. Awesome. So that's called Hyrule Warriors. And you also mentioned Halo Infinite. If people want to check that out. Yeah. Uh, well, Ryan, thank you for um, for joining me. Thank you for uh, indulging my giant Star Wars <laughs> uh, uh, tangent there. I appreciate that. Um, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Um, Ryan, do you want to tell people like where they can find you online? I don't know if we've done that recently. I mean, most people who are listening to this have probably been listening long enough where they know that we're, where they can find me and Peter and HG and Chris and Brad and Jacob. But um, for the for the new folks, I just want to give people uh, a chance to like plug your socials or like whatever, um, if you write for anywhere else or anything like that, um, where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, just Ryan Scott writes uh, on Twitter. That's where I'm at far too often. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I mostly write for Slash Film. I've got something that is about, well, I think I can talk about it. I'm going to be doing a little bit of work for Fangoria.com. Uh, so oh, cool. uh, yeah, so like it's a very recent, like, uh, but yeah, just like a tiny little bit stuff for them. So, so you will soon be able to, uh, see, see me talking about horror shenanigans over on, uh, Fangoria's website. So that's, uh, genuinely a weird, insane thing that I get to say that I'll be doing. Uh, so, <laughs> uh but yeah, so that, that's, that's going to be happening. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, and then obviously all my stuff up on slash film, um, you know, uh, I, I get I get a couple things up every day at least. So you know, oh, uh, superhero bits is the big thing. You know, I I put that column together for us, and you know, uh, I love, uh, I have a lot of fun with it. So you know, check that out if you can. Excellent. All right. Yeah. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And you can find more about a lot of the stuff that we talked about on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys tomorrow.